Hello and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Kainis. And today I have with me Alex Schmilkin and Jane Tran, co-founders and CEO and COO of Sixfold. Alex and Jane, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? Thanks for having us, Tony. Uh, excited to be chatting today. Going awesome. really well. How about you? Fantastic. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. I, I'm in Buenos Aires. I've been here for the last two months and having a lot of fun. Uh, and while the Northern Hemisphere was on fire, basically during the month of July, uh, here it's like 61 degrees and comfortable today. Like it's been in the fifties for the last couple, because we're in oh, winter. So uh, then now this is on this is unseasonably warm winter, but, but it's been a beautiful yeah. winter. Uh, so, so yeah, I, so, so New York city, la last time I was there. Uh, I was there for InsurTech Insights. It was my last stop before heading to 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 Buenos Aires. The, the last stop in my like crazy like sixteen conference spring tour uh, of homelessness after giving up my apartment in Atlanta. Uh, hashtag digital nomad. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> like I was in the conference all day. The Javits Center, right? It's it's kind of like downstairs, beautiful location, but you don't have any windows. It's like a casino. Uh, and then I come out at like two p.m. looking for some sort of, of substance. And I come outside and the sky is yellow, like bright. It was right during the Canadian Armageddon. Uh, That's well, right. So I'm assuming New York now is beautiful, just very warm. Yeah, it's like 90 and like New York humid, you know, so Ooh. there's always like a, a hint of a hint of garbage, but at least the, the sky <laughs> is very clear. Right I, now. I'm actually uh, uh, going through New York uh, for one day, uh, I think. I want to say October, I can't remember, ju ju like, like basically like just before the CPC annual meeting in DC, I'm going to be with some friends in Vermont and I'm leaving a day early to go to New York just to go see the Back to the Future musical a and, and then heading down to DC for, 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 uh, for, for, for the CPC annual meeting, which I never miss. Uh, so hopefully it won't be 90 and humid because I might reconsider. <laughs> I, I might have a ticket. No, oh. it should be lovely. <laughs> yeah, right. It should be lovely. But Perfect. that's an awesome, an awesome reason to go. Awesome, here. awesome. Uh, I, it, I, I've been waiting for this for years. They announced it like a year ago. So I've been getting the email updates. And I was in New York April like 13, 14, and 15 kind of thing for, 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 uh, for InsurTech Insights. And it's, it opened April 30th. So I, was, so I wasn't able to make it. Uh, so anyway, we always give the guests the chance to give the elevator pitch. Uh, what is Sixfold? Uh, so Sixfold is the first generative AI for insurance underwriting. Uh, Tony, it's all we do. So we wake up and there is one problem we're trying to solve and that's uh, using generative AI to help insurance underwriters be more efficient, find more capacity, be more accurate in their jobs. Uh, but underwriting is a pretty deep and pretty wide uh, thing that carriers have to do. So we've had to develop a pretty rich set of capabilities. And uh, we're essentially saying that when customers who work with Sixfold's AI models see success, they're finding more capacity, more gross written premium. They're finding more accuracy. They're finding more compliance in their underwriting efforts. So I'll, I'll be honest, uh, like the first thing I, I thought, as you said the words, generative AI for insurance underwriting, 
as a former underwriter, I, I did a small commercial farm for Nationwide for a year, and then I did middle market for Liberty for two years, and I've got my CPCU and my AAU and my ARM. Uh, the idea, and I have played a little bit with, with uh, ChatGPT, uh, and the idea of, of generative AI doing insurance underwriting petrifies me. Like, absolutely, this yeah. is scary yeah. stuff. Uh, I, I, whenever we talk about AI, I, I, I like to say we are recording in, in 2023, uh, also known as uh, year year one of our Lord ChatGPT. Uh, and <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. uh, so, assuming that uh, you know that, that that we don't end up creating Skynet in the next three or four years, assuming that it's not the end of the of the human civilization as we know it. I, I'm really hoping that, 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 that you mean admitted personal lines is all you're doing for now. <laughs> because that's the area, that, that's the side of insurance. No, it's actually, it actually, it couldn't be further from those kinds of lines. Okay. So where we are operating mostly is in very complex commercial and in life insurance, L&H. Uh, so our initial set of customers are uh, essentially guiding us towards uh, complex risks in commercial underwriting um, from all different sides of markets, from the micro and small markets all the way up to the middle and large markets. And on the complete other side of the industry, uh, life insurers that are looking to accelerate their traditional life insurance efforts, where they're looking at medical records and they're looking at all sorts of um, you know fully underwritten data on your hobbies and your lifestyle. And that's the realm of lots of manual effort to get underwriting done. Uh, what's interesting is that we're actually not working as hard in our initial stages on personal lines. I think, Jane and I think that uh, some of the prior efforts in AI that have helped personal lines are actually pretty good. There's some pretty good uh, advanced analytics. There's some pretty good predictive modeling um, given some of the simplicity of personal lines admitted products, but where AI hasn't helped at all is on more complex commercial risks that are looking at so many different kinds of varied data points to help an underwriter understand, is this the right risk for me? Should I even quote it? Do I have a chance of closing it? And how do I compare to the rest of the market? So that's what we've been seeing a lot of our success. The other thing, Tony, is that when you, when you break it down, because obviously you've played with ChatGPT, we are in the, the first year of our Lord of uh, you know the LLM master taking over everything. Um, the superpower of the language models is to summarize. The superpower of ChatGPT of GPT four is to reason through somewhat complex steps. Um, well, that's what an underwriter does. They look at all sorts of information and they bring it all up on the screen at once. And they have to consume so much different data that's describing a risk in so many different ways. Oh, and it takes you know 20 or 30 years to get really, really, really good at this. Well, we use language models that we've trained very fit for purpose for insurance to help the underwriters to look at all that data, to summarize it, to churn it down into something that can help their life move that much easier. Okay, so so walk walk me through it. Okay, so so. I did middle market, my, my, and my girlfriend worked at, at, at a very, very large broker. Uh, so I've seen both sides of it, right? I, I, I've seen the, the, uh, the I, I received the 100-page accord 
in PDF format and see, seeing my, my, my UA, Becky, and, and the processing team spend hours and hours and hours entering into the system uh, just so somebody's probably blocking a market. And at the same time, I've, I've seen my girlfriend doing the opposite side of that, right? Sending that accord. Uh, and, and, you know, I've banged my head against the wall in between her office and mine, uh, wondering why can't we just transfer the data <laughs> directly, right? Uh, so, so, okay, so, 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 so risk comes in. And, and, I, and, and I am lucky enough to work for a carrier or MGA that uses Sixfold. How do I live mm -hmm. this now? As, as, as an underwriter in 2023 or 2024? Yeah, so when you log on as an underwriter, all of that information is there for you already, right? And it's not just the information, like what it said on the Accord form, but on your screen, it's actually the things that you care about, right? Like as Alex mentioned, it's that summarization of that risk. Like XYZ business does you know, cannabis farming in Colorado. This is a good or a bad risk because you told us what your risk appetite was. And hey, FYI, this business also does soy farming. So that's also something else we need to consider. So it's less a conversation about the ingestion. It's much more about uh, based upon that application and all the other data sources that you as an underwriter would historically need to manually go through, it's all for you already summarized to your own risk appetite by line of business, by subline of business, by region. And all of that is fully configurable. Tony, what we've had to get really good at is tuning our model to ingest these underwriting appetites that Jane just described. So when you first get set up in the system, you you actually upload a PDF version of your manual. It's safe and secure and it's only in your environment. Uh, and if you can't describe your rules via a PDF, you can describe them via an Excel spreadsheet, or you could even upload a couple hundred prior risks, prior submissions and the outcome. And our model is smart enough to reason through all of this data that comes in and we pick up on the signals that matter to you. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give an example. One of our early customers, they write GL and comp into the construction trades. Very complex industry to write into. You know, if you make a mistake uh, classifying someone as a plumber versus a roofer, you know, the catastrophic risk you're exposed to, you know, could be pretty, pretty dramatic. So the manual comes in from the carrier. We understand, hey, we will accept plumbers up to this limit. We'll accept roofers up to that limit. But we'll never take you if you do solar panel installation because that's a combination of both roofing I think and Alex electrical. might be frozen. And the ability Jane, for us to understand see. that risk. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry, you were frozen for a second. Keep going. The ability for us to understand that risk becomes one of the key things that the carrier is most excited about. And it's generally been a hard thing for a carrier to describe to someone outside of their four walls well, what's their risk? What do they like? What do they don't like? The other thing that has to come with that is we don't show up with a bias as to what's a good risk or a bad risk. I'm going to say very different. it's hard for a carrier to describe to people inside its four walls what, what yeah, risk we it, like and what risk we don't like. We spend a lot of time negotiating with management for exactly. authority. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And there's so much tribal knowledge. Uh, and by the way, 
yeah, you have an underwriting manual, but we all know it's not up to date because the risk environment is changing constantly. And all of a sudden, I'm not writing property in this state. And all of a sudden, I'm not writing these NAICS classification codes, you know, in these different areas. Uh, so the model has to be flexible, but also it has to be adaptive for you to be able to tell it almost on a moment's notice, hey, I no longer write these risks. I don't want it. This, is, this sets us apart from InsureTech 1.0 because what a lot of people did that, that tried to do machine learning, you know, what we call your grandfather's AI, what they tried to do is they showed up to a carrier and they said, we know better. I've studied millions of websites. I've studied the NAICS database. I've trained on you know, XYZ years of losses. And they'd show up to the carrier and they'd say, run my model and you're going to see better results. Well, we don't hear about many of those customers anymore, uh, many of those insurtechs anymore, because they didn't work because the carriers have their own appetites. They have their own data. They have their own loss exposure and ultimately their own actuaries and their own way of taking on risk. So what we kind of made this foundational decision, let the underwriter describe it. Now, we wouldn't have been able to pull this off without the large language models. Like that was a major unlock that came out into the world over the last year. Because again, like we said, it's super hard to describe this stuff, but that's something that we've gotten very good at. Okay, so, so help me understand, I'm a, I'm a non-technical person, right? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a former underwriter. In fact, I, I, as I was telling you guys before we started recording, I'm a traditional insurance guy that accidentally ended up running the, lar the largest podcast in the insured tech space. Um, I've never worked for an insure tech, and while I started college in computer science, I, I couldn't cut the math. I finished basically in marketing. Uh, so, so help me understand why this is so much better than because, like, like the listeners, right? The the the, 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 the chief underwriters that are listening, and, and you know, underwriting leaders and IT leaders at, at, at carriers, their heart has been broken in the past, right? They were promised amazing results, right? And, and, and they spent a lot of money and, and, and they spent a lot of time integrating and, and the results didn't pan out. Why is this different this time than, than the last snake salesman that showed up saying AI? Yeah, so I, I think that there's a few things. Um, you know, when people get first get started with Sixfold, it's not a big integration project. You can use our rudimentary web UI. Because we want people just to get started with the platform and start using the solution and seeing the value of it. Um, so that's a big change, I think, from the previous iterations um, you know, of a lot of these solutions. The second thing is, as Alex mentioned, is the power of generative, right? Like you as an underwriter, you know, sometimes depending on what you're underwriting, you have to become an expert in that field. You know, like our uh, one of our clients, you know, they're an expert in the construction trades. Uh, but as a junior underwriter, you don't know where to start for some of these things, right? And that's where a lot of the power of gender really shines. Uh, like, for example, um, you're doing more semantic matching instead of keyword matching. So you know that if you need to know whether or not this specific contractor also does electrical work, um, our model knows that with, to do HVAC, there's electrical work required. You don't have to know that. We can just flag it for you. Same thing that MEPS. MEPS means mechanical electrical plumbing. Um, again, our model knows those things without you having to become an expert in that specific sub-industry, you know, just to do, you know, your underwriting. And so I think that comprehension piece that Alex mentioned, in addition to, uh, you know, not needing to be that 10x industry expert 
in construction trades or cyber or whatever the case is, but knowing what to look for so you can make that decision really takes that burden away from that underwriter and that every day. So you don't have to go into almost like a data analysis paralysis because we're doing a lot of that grunt work. What you have to do is uh, know what is that right risk appetite to me to balance this book of business and flag the right things and make that that right underlying decision, you know, for the carrier. Okay. Um, so th this is out in the wild already. There, there are carriers and MGAs that are, that are actively already using Sixfold. There are. There are 10 initial customers. Okay. Uh, eight of them are on the commercial side. Okay. Two are on the life and health side. Unsurprising that it was the commercial carriers and MGAs, like you mentioned, that ran at this first. There's generally a little bit of a bigger risk appetite. Also, the underlying data that we're analyzing in commercial is, you know, the name of your business and what's publicly and privately available about it. Uh, the life guys are starting to, uh, are accelerating their, their interest. And uh, with life, the, you know, a challenge that you run across, which is a little bit different on the commercial side, is the underlying data is so much more protected. We're looking at attending physician statements and medical records and all the inner details of, of your history and your hobbies. But um, I'll tell you the two primary things that those customers are using it for, Tony, and this, this has been instructive to us in kind of guiding some of our early roadmaps. So what the, the, the primary use case that most people want us for is to describe, summarize, classify, and match their risks. And there's a lot of words there, but basically the risk comes in at the same time that the underwriter would see it, or maybe the night before, if it came in by email, or if it came in via your web, that submission hits sixfold. And we start doing our work behind the scenes. We analyze the data that came in. We start hitting our external data sources. And um, essentially, by the time that underwriter brings it up on their screen, they already have three or four NAICS codes that they think that this business should be. They have a description of the business written. We've done matches to their risk appetite. We say this is a zero, one, two, three, four, five. And we've done a lot of that kind of background work so they're ready to get going. The second use case that these customers are using this for is all that churns behind the scenes, like that same activity I just described, yet they use it for triage and routing. So they say, okay, eventually I'm going to get to underwriting these, this thing, but maybe I should actually decline it right here on the spot. It doesn't match my risk appetite. Or look, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you're very closely with someone who's, who's on the broking side of this. People are shooting risks off to every different market that they can sometimes. So we help decline. We help to triage. We say, this ain't such a good risk. You probably shouldn't spend as much time on this. And that's the other primary use case that the early customers have, have been exploring and seeing some success with it on. Okay. And to uh, Alex's hmm? point, um, a lot of this increased capacity is, so the underwriter can also focus on closing business, right? Because we know that as an underwriter, you're underwriting but you're also a bit of a deal maker, right? Like you're building those relationships with those brokers, with those customers, and we're giving you back more time to do that stuff because we know that brings a lot of joy. Okay. Um, what, what, what kind of, uh, well, what, what, what is the implementation like? So, so right, we're, we're, we're on, on 
you know, whatever system we're on, may, maybe like Sissel and, uh, <laughs> and Hammer, uh, what, what is the implementation like? like where, where, where does my technology have to be to be able to, to properly imp implement this technology? Yeah, so we, um, not much actually. So we do three to four month pilots with our customers. Um, to get started, you really pick a line of business. Uh, we ingest your underwriting manual and we need just a couple hundred submissions, you know, to work with you and your underwriting team to really calibrate that to your risk appetite. Um, and then people are just in the platform and can get started. Okay. Here's the other fun thing, Tony. We're not a workbench or a policy admin system. We don't, we don't want to fight those wars. Um, we think that there are very capable players out there that have good admin platforms that they keep investing in. And, and, and there's also good underwriter workbenches that are essentially workflow tools that help to, you know, help underwriters, a team of them log in every day and say, you know, how should I underwrite this? How should I price this? Um, we're filling this kind of brand new white space that essentially assists the underwriter along their job. So uh, we're getting integrated into your existing tool, even in some cases for maybe less sophisticated lines, or maybe the technology hasn't automated it yet. People are just popping us open as yet another window and it's fine. Underwriters today open 15 windows. We will be their 16th window, but they don't mind us being their 16th window because they're seeing such a productivity gain when we're sitting alongside their existing process. Okay. Uh, okay, so so how how far are we for, from you being able to automate my very expensive underwriters away? Can I go That's from two hundred underwriters to we're to not two? Let me tell you this: our goal in life is is definitely not to under to automate your underwriters away. That's that's not what we're waking up trying to solve. What we want to do is make underwriters more efficient at their jobs. We, I was actually, I was posed a fascinating question the other day, which should, which should expose a bit of our thinking on this. Someone said, okay, if you get as good as you're saying that the models are now, or imagine another year or two goes by, are underwriters going to take on more risks or less risks as a result of, of being able to now so quickly see the market, are they going to tune their book so well that like they bring, they actually bring the loss ratio down or are they going to be able to open the aperture so much because you're helping them with the analysis and we keep thinking about it and I don't know the answer. And that's kind of the amazing part about how this is going to play out because he, let me, let me tell you what's happening right now. We have carriers that are running their risks through sixfold and sometimes the model catches something that an underwriter didn't. And we say, oh, hey, we found examples of, I'll go back to construction. We found examples of where this guy actually does roofing. You, pro you either don't want to write this risk or it has to come with a very different limit or endorsement. Mm -hmm. Fine. Maybe that would should have been a, uh, a declination. But we've also found examples, the exact opposite. A customer of ours says, we don't write holding companies. We'll write the companies within the holding companies, but we never write at that master holding company tier. Well, guess what happened? Our model found that some of their underwriters mistakenly thought companies within the holding company were the holding company. And now all of a sudden, this is a good risk. So what I think is going to happen uh, and what we're focused on is how does the 
the actual makeup of your book change when you kind of have this additional superpower of so much more analysis and data than your expense ratio allows for today. Okay, fantastic. Um, all right. Uh, what and and this this episode will probably come out mid September, maybe a little bit after mid September. So for this next question, that might be important. So what other what what what, what is coming down? that is not yet available, but that you guys are about ready to announce uh, that you're excited about? Yeah, the, the next big frontier for us after we've gotten great at analysis and classification is going to be suggestions. And this is what we're rolling out over the course of the next few months. So our carrier partners have started to connect their rating and pricing engines directly to our models. And now we've done all this work that we described where the model looks at all the data, and it summarizes it, it analyzes it, and it describes the risk. Now we're going to take all that and we're going to pump it into your pricing and your rate and your rating and essentially pull back out something that is really this close to a quote and maybe even a, a binder that you can deliver back to the customer. Now it's always going to be uh, with the underwriter, we're not, our, our intention is, is not to be speaking directly to the brokers, but what we're excited about is that when we get into what we call sixfold suggest, when we get into this new realm, we're completely opening up the underwriter's capacity to just be closing that much more business that much more quickly. And that's, that's really going to be the most exciting advancement on the roadmap. All right. Uh yeah, you guys are, are. I mean, I think you're the second generative gener, generative AI uh, company that, that we have on the podcast. Uh, I think the first one was Lazarus, uh, which we recorded live at Insurtech Insights, uh, you know, three months ago or two two months ago. Uh, and and uh, the first one in the underwriting side. Uh, so 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 very very. I, I I knew this day was coming. I didn't think it would get here this quickly. Uh, so very, very interesting stuff. Uh, definitely look forward to, to see you guys uh, on the road during, during the fall conference season. I'm guessing at ITC. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. Look for and, 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 and look forward to have you back in a year or two uh, because I can only imagine, uh, especially like, like in a year or two, what I really look forward to is the, the answers to those, the answers to, to, to what happened with the, the appetite for the companies that, that, that started using Sixfold, uh, what happened with their loss, uh, right? Did their losses get better? Uh, so definitely looking forward to, 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 uh, to bringing you back. Tony, awesome. Thanks for having us on today. I had a really good time. And yeah, we'd love to keep following up. And of course, we'll see you at ITC. Yeah, this is great. Thank you awesome. so much. Th thank you.